Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Um, okay, well, this morning, we're going to take a break from our Encountering Jesus uh, series that we've been going through. We'll jump back into that next week. And I really just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, baptism uh, this morning and talk about what just happened here, uh, in particular because I'm aware that there are many of our, us in the room that uh, may not be familiar either uh, with baptizing infants um, uh, because we didn't grow up in the church or because we didn't grow up in a tradition that baptized infants um, or because you're just new to uh, Anglicanism and new to apostles, and so you may have questions. So my hope is this will answer some questions, but before I even uh, kind of explain some of these things, I want to encourage you, there is a book in the lobby called Baptism by Michael Green, and it's an excellent resource if you have questions about baptism, whether it's your own baptism or for your children, uh, and so I want to refer you to that resource. You can stop by. Uh, we encourage people to make a contribution, but if you uh, just want to take one, that is our gift to you, uh, and so grab them. I think there's like five, so go quickly to the lobby if you want one. Um, so again, this morning, I want to talk about uh, baptism. We're going to look at Matthew 3, 13 through 17. There's words I just read. If you want to open a Bible uh, to those verses or open the app on your phone and have that in front of you, uh, we're really going to focus in on one verse in particular. But before we get there, uh, I just want to uh, begin with a question that I, I kind of began to ponder as I was thinking about baptism, and we baptized Andrew, and we baptized Joanna today, which is uh, an amazing thing, always uh, really powerful and moving, I think, for me personally, to baptize children. So it got me thinking about Jesus as a kid. And I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus' childhood or wondered what he was like as a little boy. Uh, kids, have you ever wondered what Jesus was like when he was your age, when he was young, uh, when he was maybe a first grader? Or uh, what was Jesus like in middle school or high school? Um, it's interesting, if you read the Gospels, we're not really told anything about what Jesus was like uh, in his childhood, apart from one story when he goes to the temple. And so we get uh, kind of this uh, account of his life, but really it goes from his birth, and then it jumps almost to this moment uh, with Jesus' baptism. And in all of that, uh, we go from basically from infancy to probably around the age of 30 when he's baptized. So he's really, really old uh, by then, right, kids? So it was funny, before the service, we were talking about getting baptized and how old the kids were, and they were like, well, I'm four and I'm three. And then one of them said, um, said I really, my goal is to get to eight. And I was like, that's great. And I was like, that's pretty old. And they were like, yeah, that's really old. So 30, Jesus was 30, he was really old, um, but we don't really know a whole lot about what was happening between uh, his infancy and when he came to be baptized. And so it begs the question, what led up in his life to this incredible moment where Jesus enters into the waters of the River Jordan and hears a voice from heaven break out from the clouds, a dove descends, and the declaration from the heavenly Father is, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. The God of the world, the universe, breaks into physical reality and speaks these words. This is my son. I love him. I'm proud of him. 
God. God himself declares that over Jesus. And so what led up to this declaration? Why, why did God break into history and declare these words over Jesus in this moment? Now, we might be tempted to think it's because uh, of something amazing that Jesus has done, right? The gospels are full of miraculous stories and Jesus' amazing teaching and all these signs and wonders. So we might think, oh, well, maybe he, he as a kid and kind of coming up uh, into adulthood, he did some really just amazing things and, and God's really just stepping back and saying, I am so proud of you. You made the Little League All-Star team in Nazareth. Crushed it. Way to go. I'm proud of you, right? Or maybe uh, they're like super excited, got super excited because he got all A's in Torah. I'm sure Jesus did. Uh, Maybe he graduated from a great college. Maybe he's an awesome teacher. Maybe he's done a few miracles here and there. We're not told. We're kind of left to wonder. But in fact, I think as far as we know, at this moment, at this point in the life and ministry of Jesus, He's not preached a single sermon. He's not performed a miracle. He hadn't done anything publicly, at least it's recorded for us, that's of significance that would warrant this moment where the God of the universe breaks in and said, this is my son whom I love and I'm proud of. Even John, his first cousin, who grew up uh, aware of Jesus, knowing of Jesus, seems to have had a hard time with this moment. He he, he's wrestling what's, what's happening before him. At some, in some way, he had no idea that Jesus was the Son of God until this moment, that he's the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus appears and appears to be fairly normal like other people up until this moment of his baptism in the River Jordan. And of course, he's not, and that's revealed in numerous ways, chiefly by the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit who burst on the scene. Jesus comes up to the water. His voice, God's voice declares from heaven, this is my beloved son. And so what we have here is a powerful picture that tells us some very important things. And so we wanna pause here in this moment in the gospels and say, God, what do you, what do you wanna reveal to us in this moment? And so first thing is it tells us who Jesus is right? God the Father says, this is my beloved son. This is my son. We were just reminded last week in the story of Nicodemus um, that God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son to the world for its salvation. And so that's what we see and we hear from God's voice himself In his baptism, Jesus is God's son. He is God in the flesh, the second member of the Trinity. It also tells us that God the Father loved his son. So he's the son, but he's the beloved son. He is the one that God loves. And it stands out to me that the father's love for the son here seems to have nothing to do with what he has accomplished thus far. In other words, it's not a performance-based love that's being declared over Jesus. Maybe that's why Jesus was able to do so much in just three years of public ministry, why he never wavered to shine um, the spotlight on evil or hypocrisy, why he relentlessly sought and saved the lost, why in just three years he was able to establish a movement uh, that would change human history, that would change your life and my life. I wonder if it's rooted in this moment in the fact that Jesus knew his father's unconditional love, that he was the beloved son, 
Jesus was absolutely certain of the Father's love for him, of the Father's presence and guidance in his life. And I want to just think about your own life. Think about how different your life might be if you were totally free from any fear, from any insecurity, from any doubt about the fact that you are loved. To know and to never question that you are completely and totally loved and loved by your heavenly Father. The truth is that you are. Like Jesus' baptism, our baptism declares who we are and God's love for us. Through faith in Jesus, we become his beloved children. That's what we've affirmed here today through baptism. And we've affirmed the fact that we are loved. He is pleased when he looks at you. He is pleased because of who you are in Christ. The truth is, sometimes I can really wrestle with this truth. A lot of times I feel like I am a disappointment to my Heavenly Father. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I struggle sometimes to feel like I just haven't been good enough. That I somehow need to earn His love or His approval. I think a lot of us feel that way at times. I don't know what your relationship was like with your earthly father, but oftentimes that has huge implications for our ability to receive love from our heavenly father. And so maybe that's hard for you. Maybe you're feeling this way today. I'm not lovable. And so I keep God at a distance. I'm just not good enough. I'm not doing enough for God. To quote my friend uh, Sam Ferguson, He said, when we really grasp what Jesus has done for us, it's easy to feel like we aren't doing enough for him. Now, it is right to want to serve God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. But remember, God's love for Jesus, his son, was not based on his performance, but on who he was. He is the beloved son. And the same is true for you and for me. His love for you is not based on your performance. God's great love for you is not dependent on what you have accomplished for God, not in any way. Now, as a dad, I do get this in a different way. Since I've become a dad, uh, I want my kids to obey me. They know that. I want them to obey me, but I don't love my kids because they do their chores, and as we say in our house, they obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. <laughs> yeah, that's totally a credit to my wife. She's uh, an amazing parent. And so it's not because of anything they do. It's not because they get grades, not because they made the team. I love them because I love them. I love them because they're my children, and on their father. So when we put our faith in Jesus, something remarkable happens, and we've symbolized that. We've signed this today. We become children of God the Father. He declares his love for us, for, 
for his children in our baptism. The Lord Jesus said in John 16, 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In other words, the Father loves you because he loves you because of who you are in Christ. That's what God is asking for. He loves you and the response to that is a loving, trusting faith in the person of Jesus. The Jesus who loved us so much that he died for us on the cross for our sins. But God's love for us is not even dependent on our response. We can fall into that trap. It's not dependent on our response to his amazing love. His love isn't reactive, in other words. His love for us comes first. I said at the beginning, it's amazing to think about this moment. This moment was in the mind of God before creation that he would call these children his because he loves them. His love comes first. His love is who he is. In love, he made us for himself, as the liturgy says. We are his creation made in his image. We are his children. Again, in other words, he loves you because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son before we did anything. He loved you before you ever even believed he existed. He is a God of love. And so baptism is a powerful picture of God's love. Baptism is the way our identity is declared and we are welcomed into the family of God and membership into, the God, into God's covenant family isn't something a person can earn or deserve. It is a gift. We are baptized as God's beloved children, which means we are part of God's family. Now, this, this approach, this way of thinking about what baptism signs is a little bit different in different Christian traditions. And so I just want to address this for a moment. I grew up uh, in a Baptist tradition. Maybe you grew up uh, in a similar tradition, or maybe you come from no church tradition at all. And so you're asking questions about how we did what we just did when these children can't affirm these things verbally necessarily themselves. You heard me ask the parents, do you affirm these things on the behalf of your children? So let me kind of back up. Some Christians believe that a child must have attained a certain age of understanding. Uh, I was taught this is called an age of accountability. Uh, and they have to be able to reason themselves in order to come to a place of maturity uh, that they would repent themselves uh, of their sin and trust in Christ and that there's an intellectual comprehension of that in order for that spiritual reality to take place in baptism. Uh, and then baptism along with that becomes a public declaration of something that's already happened. I stand before the congregation, I am baptized and it declares what God has done for me in my life. Now that's all well and good. I will say as someone who grew up in the Baptist church, um, this is the way I was taught. This is the way I practiced uh, for a long time. And I appreciate that view. There is space within the generosity of orthodoxy, we could say, for both these views. They're both faithful aims at interpreting and understanding the practice of baptism. But as I've grown and changed and formed uh, my opinion on this and my view and understanding of how to interpret Scripture on this, um, it's shifted and, uh, and so I want us to be careful. If, if your view is the former, what I've just said, and not this uh, view of infant baptism, I, I just want to wholeheartedly disagree with you, uh, but do so respectfully. And I, I just stress that because there's way too much, 
way too much division and contention within the church. And this does not need to be a source of that. So if you differ on that opinion, we can walk together as followers of Jesus. Um, but there is a, a real difference. There's a real difference in what we are saying and what uh, our Baptist friends, for example, would say about baptism. And so we would all agree that only faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ actually accomplishes salvation in us. But I become convinced that baptizing infants and adults, which we do both, is a biblical practice that in fact better accounts for the full testimony of Scripture and the foundational truths of baptism. That uh, in both the Old and the New Testaments, or the Old and New Covenant, uh, the Abrahamic Covenant and the Covenant ushered in by Jesus, God has made promises to believers and their children. We heard that read in our reading from Acts just a few moments ago, that the children is for you and for your children. And that holds to a pattern that was present in the Old Testament. Genesis 17, the promise is to you and your seed after you. Acts 2, the promise is to you and your children. And in both covenants, God has given signs of that covenant promise that he is making. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, that covenant sign is baptism. And so here we baptize infants because baptism is a sign of God's loving promises to raise us to new life by his son, by the resurrection of Jesus, to cleanse us of the forgiveness of our sins and the rebirth in the Holy Spirit, initiation into God's family and to be a part of this community living in light of God's promises. That's what we hold has just taken place here in baptism. And so just like circumcision, as the sign didn't guarantee salvation in the Old Testament, neither does baptism guarantee salvation in the New Testament. Baptism never saves. It initiates us into the covenant community where afterwards, through our own encounter with Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we come to a saving faith in him. That can happen before baptism, as in, quote, believer's baptism, or it can happen after baptism, as it does with infant baptism. So, I have found great power and peace in this understanding of baptism because it makes so clear something that I think is critically important in our life with God. And it's namely what we've been talking about, that there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to qualify ourselves for life with God. It is an act of grace. It is all God's initiative. It is God's doing and not ours. It is not something we earn. It is a gift that we receive. And so it is a response, but the weight is on the foot of grace. It is God's initiative. We want, we pray that these children then will always be rooted and secure in the love of God, that they will always know that he loves them. And if our kids are firmly rooted in God's love, then they will be secure and fearless in their commitment to serving God all their days because they know who they are and that they are loved by their heavenly father. That's our prayer. That's what we prayed today over these children. God gives his love for us, to us, before we can fully understand or reciprocate. So our prayer is that God will not only reveal to them his love, but that he will also graciously enable them to receive it in humble and loving faith. So this is why, for example, uh, there's another piece that comes after baptism, and we call that confirmation. So our bishop is here today. At some point, we'll say, Bishop, we need you to come back because we need to do confirmations. What's confirmation? Well, confirmation uh, is the opportunity we have 
to give these children who have been raised up in a community of faith to affirm what's been declared in their baptism and to have hands laid on them to receive the Holy Spirit and be commissioned for the ministry and the mission that God has for them in the life of the church. And so these pieces all flow uh, together. Our prayer and our responsibility as a community is to prepare these children so that God willing, one day they will confirm uh, the faith that they have, these promises that have been declared over them, that their journey with God would begin just like Jesus began here with baptism, with the declaration of their baptism and their identity and the love of God and the grace of God. A pastor I know, um, uh, you probably heard me talk about him before. He's kind of a grandfather in the faith to me, uh, uh, the Reverend John Yates, the Falls Church in Northern Virginia. He, um, he uh, was leading a, an event for pastors one day, and he was just sharing some of his devotional practices. And he, he told us that every day uh, of his life, he would always begin with this simple prayer. And this is, this is stuck with me. He said, he always begins this way. Good morning, Lord. This is your day. I am your child. Please show me your way. Good morning, Lord. This is your day. I am your child. Please show me your way. Simple prayer, but I love that piece there in the middle. I am your child. Resting in who he is as a beloved son. Resting in who we are as beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly father. When we know who we are and that we are unconditionally loved by our heavenly father, it frees us to follow Jesus and to love our Father, and to love others in the name of Jesus. It frees our children to really live when we teach them to know who they are as God's child and that no matter what they accomplish or don't accomplish, they are loved. Because before they can know where they belong, before they can understand their purpose, they need to know who they are. And in baptism today, we have declared who they are. This is who they are in Christ. They are beloved children of their heavenly Father. This is what the Bible calls grace. Baptism is a sign of God's grace, a gift that we receive in faith. It is perfect love. Grace is love that is not merited. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is being treated as though you are totally wonderful, accomplished and exceptional, when in truth you are none of those things. You're a sinner. You're made in the image of God, but you're a sinner. And you are loved deeply by the God who forgives sins. Grace is the most wonderful thing in the world. Jesus gave us two of these gifts, two sacraments, two signs of grace, baptism and communion. And so in just a moment, we're gonna come uh, to this table that's behind me. And we don't come because we deserve to. We come because uh, we have been welcomed into the family of God and invited to the family meal of God. The picture of heaven, the picture of our eternal future is a picture of the wedding banquet uh, that we will gather with Jesus, the bridegroom, as the bride of the church, and we will have a feast. So if you love to eat, you're gonna love eternity, okay? No harps on clouds. This is a party. This is a feast, and this is a foretaste. And so we're gonna get to celebrate as those who are baptized into this family, a family meal with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is about God's love for you and what he gives you, the life, the blood, the body of his son. These are gifts of God for the people of God. Baptism is a gift for 
uh, the people of God. It signifies who we are in Christ. So as I close, I just want to encourage you, if you are here today and you're a baptized follower of Jesus, every time we baptize someone, it's an opportunity to remember who you are as a baptized follower of Christ. You are a beloved child of God. And I want you to hear me say that. That's who you are. You are a beloved son of your heavenly father. You are a beloved daughter of your heavenly father. And so today we are reminded of that. And I also wanna encourage those of you that maybe haven't taken that step, that maybe you're struggling to believe that could ever be true for you. The invitation of our heavenly father is always open to enter into these waters and to receive these gifts of grace to be reminded that you are loved no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've believed up until this moment, that you would know God loves you, that he's given his son for you, that in the power of the cross, you can have forgiveness and life in the name of Jesus. And so this is an invitation to you. And if that's where you are today, um, there's no time like the present to get baptized. So if you could affirm that faith, I'd love to talk to you about what it would mean for you to take this step of baptism and to enter into this family, this body of Jesus, and to follow him. During our, uh, our time of communion, we'll have prayer teams in the back. They would love to pray with you and for you if there's anything that's come up for you. Uh, maybe especially if you feel some tinge of disappointment, that God has disappointed in you, I wanna encourage you, he is not. He sees you in Christ as one whom he loves and with one in whom he is well-pleased. So let's receive prayer. Let's come to the table. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.